What is up, guys? I am Michael Hunter. This is the ACC Basketball Report. Coming at you on 9-14. I was lucky to be able to make this podcast today. Let me tell you something right now. So last night I went to a buddy of mine's house. We did some did some shellfish, okay? Did some shrimp, did some scallops, did some rice, did some zucchini on the grill. It was all delicious. It was beautiful, right? Well, I have a certain sensitivity to shellfish sometimes in my guts. The, the, the most sick I've ever been in my life was when I ate clams and lobster and, and scallops one night. And sometimes it just messes with my guts. And today was one of those days. I actually had to call into work earlier because I uh, was having a little GI tract issues. Um, a lot of Pepto today, some bananas, right? Trying trying all that stuff. And, uh, and luckily was able to keep it together for what I intended to be an hour-long podcast actually ran out about an hour and 40 minutes. So it's one of the longer podcasts that we've ever done on ACCBR on a day where the guts weren't in the best uh, in the best possible conditions. But uh, we made it through, luckily, thankfully. I didn't have to wear a diaper. And, uh, and it was, I'll tell you what, it, like I do a podcast. I'm a construction guy that does a podcast. When you have people on your show that are 30-year veterans of radio and broadcasting and journalism, like the way that they're able to tell a story, the way that they're able to articulate um, and and answer questions is they're on a different level. And today's guest in David Glenn is is that guy. And, and, and for those of you who may be outside the region of the Southeast, may not know who David Glenn is, David Glenn is the sports journalist, radio broadcaster of North Carolina. Like, he is North Carolina sports. He's the guy that does, like, when you have your little local radio station that broadcasts Dan Lebetard from 7 to 10 or whatever it is now. I don't listen to Lebetard anymore because Sarah Spain sucks. But the the show that comes on after him, that your your radio show does after Lebetard, your local show, David Glenn's that guy for me, and he's all over the Southeast, and he is phenomenal. Like I, I And I told him in the show that I don't really listen to terrestrial radio very often. I'm more of a podcast guy now. But um, when I do listen to Terrestrial Radio, I listen to David Glenn. Unfortunately, David Glenn is no longer with the the, the Curtis Media Group or, or whatever syndicated group that he was with. And that's when, you know, when I found that out in late June, early July, I think, is, is, is a little bit more accurate than what I said on the podcast. That's when I said, I, I got to talk to this guy. Like, how do you pull this guy off the air? This is the guy that brings... Dabo Swinney and 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 Dean Smith and Roy Williams. This is the guy that brings those personalities to your radio show, and it blew my mind that that guy is no longer on the air. Like, it's something that I just couldn't fathom. And David was gracious enough to to get right back to me, and we went long tonight. And he told stories, and he he's just. I mean, if you're if you're a podcast guy that strives to be a radio guy that strives to do this stuff for for your livelihood, you strive to be David Glenn. And it was it was an absolute pleasure for me to host him, and he was he was so gracious in doing it. And I'm I'm thankful for guys like him that make time. You know, David uh, John Jeff Goodman was the same way. Like Jeff Goodman is a guy for the little guy. Like I 
sent Jeff Goodman a tweet one day and he got right back to me. He's like, yeah, man, whenever you want. And those are the guys that I really enjoy in this industry. I think guys like Jeff Goodman, guys like David Glenn, even coaches like Dino Gaudio and, 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 and you see a Rosemont that I've had on this, on the show before. Those are the guys that I truly appreciate. David Glenn is another name to that list. I hope you guys really enjoy the show. Please follow me at ACCBR1 on Twitter. Like, rate, review, share the podcast. Uh, you know, I hope to keep pumping up this great content for you guys. I hope you really enjoy tonight's show. Here he is, David Glenn. Farrell turns the key, drives the lane with three on the shot clock. Doesn't get it. Five seconds to play. Down the floor, Okogi. Welcome to ACC Basketball Report. Have a really nice treat for you guys today. I have basically the the best sports broadcaster in the Triangle area where I currently reside in David Glenn of accsports.com. David, I appreciate you taking the time to join us this evening. Hey, it's great to be with you, Michael. I appreciate the invitation. So I guess... You know, I, I don't know how in in depth we can get into it, but you know, I was talking to a buddy of mine. I don't typically listen to a lot of terrestrial radio. Um, I was a Sirius XM guy for a long time, and then I kind of just canceled uh, my subscription. Went kind of strictly podcast. But when I did, you know, when I finally moved to the Triangle, when I finally moved just outside of Raleigh, you know, I listened to WFAN. Um, you know, your show, I believe, ten to two, I believe was was the time. Um, and then I just heard, you know, within the past. I think probably late May, early June, that you were no longer on the airwaves. So can you kind of tell us maybe a little bit about what happened with WFAN? And, you know, I, I know you still got accsports.com going. I know you still write for The Athletic, but are, are you planning a return to the airwaves anytime soon? Yeah, it's been a crazy year for all of us in one way or another. And mm-hmm. I guess you could just say I've had an extra layer of craziness with the audio side of my career. So as you said, I'm still doing a lot of writing. But on the audio side, after 20 plus years of having my own show, and we were 11 years into syndicating it statewide in North Carolina. So at different times, we were on both of the different radio sports radio formats in Charlotte. Uh, We were on uh, 99.9 The Fan and The Triangle. And all basically every major city carried us Mm -hmm. uh, for all or most of the last 11 years. And then the pandemic hit. And uh, the long story short is that I have had opportunities to get back into audio after my syndicator uh, pulled out on me. Um, So, you know, I I own the rights to the David Glenn show. I can relaunch it anytime I want. I can even syndicate it myself if I wanted to. But after a lot of years of business ownership, I don't want to relaunch it myself. And after talking with a lot of my sponsors and affiliates, I just decided to postpone until 2021 okay. when we have when we have a better idea what the sports world is going to look like, uh, you know, in college basketball returns, hopefully, mm-hmm. and maybe we get through the rest of the normalized college football season. Um, given that there were almost no sports for five months, I was kind of glad I didn't have a daily sports radio show. Right. Um, so I'm enjoying essentially my first semi break in about 35 years of covering sports and, uh, I'm leaving on the back burner for a couple more months. You know, just if and when I decide to redo the audio side, and that could be terrestrial radio, it could be satellite, uh, it could be a podcast Mm -hmm. like you all have. Um, So I'm just kind of uh, leaving that on the back burner until we all have a better idea what the sports world looks like uh, as we get closer to 2021. So I have, you know, I have a friend that works, you know, major, major media, major cable provider, 
um, was also part of basically this provider made two billion dollars worth of cuts uh you know early on in this pandemic going back to uh april and may was this a a budgetary concern with fan or was it just time for a change was it just restructuring or do you have an idea what well yeah our affiliates really were just that even even 99.9 the fan in the triangle which was a huge affiliate for us and a great partner for a long time uh, they didn't actually syndicate the show. Okay. So a lot of folks didn't even realize that they were not the the engine behind the David Glenn show. They were just one of our affiliates. Now, they were an important affiliate, but they were not the one that had, you know, uh, paid for our sales staff on the statewide basis and sold the ads to our statewide advertisers. That was actually done by a different company uh, called Curtis Media. Okay. So. Our, our affiliates really just kind of lost the right to carry us uh, when the pandemic hit and my syndicator bailed. Um, and, yeah, the timing's not right to kind of get back into it yet. Mm-hmm. I've had a lot of folks who want the show back. Uh, most of our affiliates who were carrying us at the time have asked about, you know, if and when we are going to return. Um, but I've just kind of decided I, I, I fortunately, after 35 years in this industry, have kind of saved enough money that if I wanted to retire at 53 years old, I could do that. Uh, so I'm under no, no pressure to kind of rush back. So, uh, my wife said she has seen me do, you know, several lifetimes worth of work in 25 <laughs> years. We've known each other. So she said, why don't you catch your breath? Uh, you know, spend more time with your family, your kids, uh, travel's tricky, of course, during the pandemic, sure. but just kind of recharge the batteries and, and you know, make some philosophical decisions about what I want my working life to look like the rest of the way, because I have teaching opportunities. Well, you're also an attorney, to get back. Yeah. yeah, I'm an attorney, so I can get back into the law if I want to. I'm an investor in some small companies and maybe some large companies someday, hopefully. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm doing some consulting along those lines as we speak. So I have my my hands in a lot of baskets, and I'm, I'm just trying to kind of read the most complicated sports media landscape that I have experienced <laughs> in my lifetime. And um, as much as I love the terrestrial radio side of things, uh, they're going through a decline, not as severe as newspapers did 20-plus uh, years ago. Mm-hmm. But I was kind of glad I stayed one step ahead of the newspaper decline a long time ago. That has worked out well for me. Um, kind of got in on the website side of things early by creating accsports.com way back in 1994. So that timing worked out well for me. So I'm, I'm kind of uh, just navigating these complicated waters as I try to make decisions for 2021. How, uh, how stressful was it? Because I, I think I read the story that came out on March 10th, I believe, that, that actually announced that you, were, you guys were parting ways, basically, with, with yeah. your, your syndication group. And then I, I want to say late April, early May, maybe, I think SB Nation went through some layoffs, and then The Athletic laid off a bunch of people. How stressful yeah. a time was that for you? Crazy. Yeah. You know, I mean, the good, the good news is uh, I actually felt bad for some of the younger members of my staff mm-hmm. because to go through these kind of circumstances, <laughs> you know, at 25 years old or 30 years old before you've kind of – made a lot and saved a lot and, and kind of built your nest egg, it's a lot more stressful. For example, my producer, a guy named Darren Vaught, who's become a great friend of mine, uh, he lost not only his main job, which was producing my show, he also worked as a play-by-play man for ESPN3, and all those games mm-hmm. went away. 
Uh, he worked as the, the voice of High Point Basketball, where Tubby Smith is the head sure. coach now. And those games went away. Uh, and he's, he's the voice of USA Baseball, which is based in Cary, North Carolina, near our home base. Mm-hmm. And, and most of those games went away. So he lost his full-time job, his benefits, his salary, and most of his freelance income. Uh, so I, 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 it was kind of a jolt. So it was, I guess, stressful in a way. But I think my personal stress was really minimized by the fact that I've owned a lot of what I've done um, mm-hmm. for most of my career. And I still had those relationships uh, with the athletic and the athletic Carolina, uh, which were supplementary income. I had an offer to teach uh, this fall, although that was complicated by the pandemic. So that's extra income. I have my, my attorney background. So that's available for me to dive back into i do a lot of speaking engagements a master of ceremonies you know speaking at sport clubs so that's extra income so i think i would have been stressed if i hit this uh you know uh jolt or fork in the road of my career in my 20s the fact that it happened in my early 50s i think really took a lot of the stress out of the equation for me yeah i you know i write um i write for a company that provides um, gambling previews and picks uh, for various websites all over the net, and obviously with no sports going on, I, I haven't been able to write that. You know that gives me you know a little added yep. income on the side. Chimp, you do you do play by play or not play by play? You do color commentary. Um, what kind of an impact has that had on you? Really, not much of any. Uh, I just strictly do basketball. Um, but uh, the guy that I. Uh, do a lot of games with that does the play-by-play it's, it's had a big impact on him um so he, he does football basketball baseball so it's impacted him uh greatly and let me say this david sounds like the busiest semi-retired <laughs> guy i've ever heard of. <laughs> well the good news i've put most of those things on the back burner it's it's a fun chapter of life guys because you know how it is when you're when you're kind of in the day-to-day grind, you really do not have much time to step back and contemplate the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. You're just kind of, you know, hopefully enjoying your work and diving into your work. And in my case, I, I wasn't a business owner for the entirety of these last 30 plus years, but for a big chunk of it, I was. And even with the show, you know, I, 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 earn, I owned the rights to David Glenn Show and davidglennshow.com and you know, I, I own the T-shirts and, and a lot of the other sort of intellectual property type items that go with that. So even though we're not on the air right now, uh, it's still sort of something that I can work toward, but I can do it without that daily grind. So all those things I'm talking about are sort of rather than work being one of the biggest gobblers of my time for the last 35 years, work has been something that I mix in with like, walking my dog multiple times a day, <laughs> jogging about three miles a day. I just got back from a trip to Nantucket to see one of my best uh, friends from college. So I spent a week in the beautiful island of Nantucket near nice. Boston, uh, just as, you know, college football season was about to start. So those those are some of the kinds of things I would not have had uh, Zoom conferences with my family in Pennsylvania mm-hmm. or my old buddies, you know, uh, reconnecting with some neighbors and, and other folks who live in the Triangle area that I just hadn't been able to see. And, and we can't do everything, obviously, with the pandemic, but I've probably played more golf in the last six months than I played in the previous 20 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so I'm, I'm David, definitely mix, mixing in the fun with the, with a little bit of work. Well, David, it sounds to me like life is very good. And I also noticed you just – 
sent your daughter off to college at Appalachian State. Is that correct? That is correct. So my wife, Maria, and I have two kids. Anthony is a senior at ECU, and Avery, my daughter, is a freshman at App State. And we did have a long conversation about whether she was going to actually physically go there. Yeah. You know, give, given a lot of kids either, you know, took a gap year. or uh, A lot of them are actually college students online only from their mom and dad's house, you know. Right. Uh, for a variety of reasons, we did decide to send Avery to Boone, and, and she's really thrilled. She's actually coming home this week for her birthday. But uh, she's thrilled to be in the music department at App State and uh loves the mountains and loves the culture of that school and, and its football team and, and um, you know, just being in the mountains and another beautiful part of the great state of North Carolina. Well, as someone that has a daughter, I just wanted to say congratulations. That had to be one of the <laughs> toughest days ever for you, I'm sure. I'll tell you what, I don't know how old your daughter is, but uh, the long story short is when we dropped Avery at Boone, uh, my wife, who's known me for 25 years, we haven't been married that whole time, but, but we've known each other for 25 years. She says she's never seen me cry. Now, I don't know if that's true, and I'm not trying to be all manly or anything, but she just says she's never seen her husband cry. So long story short is, as my daughter's giving me like that final goodbye hug, I had made it through the whole weekend of dropping her off. Instead of just kind of hugging and then stepping back, I'm telling you, man, she held on to my hug and she pulled me in. Uh, I, I, it, it was my wife said it was only five minutes, but it felt like five hours. <laughs> but five minutes is a long hug. and I could feel her body shaking and she was kind of tearing up a little bit. And my wife said that's the closest she's ever come to seeing me cry because uh, I've always believed that, uh, you know, human beings don't find perfection very attainable. But my relationship with my daughter, who turns 18 this weekend, is as close to perfection as I think human beings are allowed. So uh, even before chatting up with you guys tonight, she texted me uh, a, a rapid-fire text that if I read them to you, even though you don't know her, uh, y'all, you might cry as a dad just <laughs> you know seeing what she texted me earlier today. Uh, so it is a beautiful thing. You know, we all got to celebrate those wonderful relationships when we have them. Um, and that's certainly as good as any I've ever had. And yes, it was hard, hard to realize and accept that my wife and I are empty nesters for the first time after, you know, 21 years yeah. of raising two kids. We, uh, you know, it's funny. It was actually, a, that's been a fairly hot topic in my life recently. Uh, the chimp and I talked about it with our previous guest, Rob Doster, who we had on late last week about, you know, kind of masculinity. And then I had a buddy of mine text me the other day. And said, you know, I just dropped the boy off for his first day at kindergarten. And I'm not going to say that I didn't cry, but I'm not going to say that I did either. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I had uh, a couple weeks ago, I had my family down here from Maine and my family, my other family up here from South Carolina. And I have a four-year-old nephew who was down here. <clears throat> and I was on vacation, you know, probably, uh, I think, first week of July. So I went up there and I stayed with them for a week and I stayed with him for a week. And they came down here and stayed with me for a week just a couple weeks ago. And uh, before they went back to Maine, he gives me a big hug and he says, Uncle Mike, I'll see you next weekend, right? And, you know, I'm all out of vacation time for 2020. Uh, you know, I, I don't know when I'll see him again. And I don't want to yeah. say that it was it was easy, but I'm not going to say that I stood tall in that moment after everybody left the house and I was all alone for about 10 <laughs> minutes because that was a difficult moment because, you know, you want to tell him, yeah, sure, man, I, you know, we'll play catch or, you know, we'll do whatever. But I also don't know. It could be six months. It could be another year before I get to see him. So it's always tough when stuff like that happens. 
That's a good sign, man. That makes you human, Michael. Yeah, that makes yeah. You human. That's a good sign. <laughs> it's it's those who don't have those feelings that we have to worry about. Right. Yeah, I agree. I agree. <laughs> Um, I want to talk. You mentioned a little bit uh, 1994 accsports.com. I kind of want to talk about your original idea behind it, your development of it, your your plan to run with it, and its longevity, and how it's been a great source for guys like me over the years. Um, what uh, what precipitated that idea, and and how did you just decide just to take it and run with it? Well, this is hard for folks to understand, depending on their age, mm-hmm. but. As crazy as this might sound, you know, I was entering college in 1985 in a newspaper-driven world Mm -hmm. without, you know, without what we know as the widespread internet. And I know that's, you know, my own kids look at me, you know, like I have two heads when I say such things because they just can't (laughs) perceive of that world. Um, By the time, while I was an undergrad, uh, to finish my education at the University of North Carolina, I was in journalism school there. I was writing for a newsletter that had a funky name. It was called the Poop Sheet, <laughs> and it was some, it, it was something that uh, covered basketball, football, and recruiting. At a time, remember that only the printed word. You know, of course, there was still radio and television, but sure. most people gobbled their daily information through the printed word, and this was. This was not even a magazine, uh, certainly wasn't a website yet, but I was a freelance contributor to this uh, newsletter that has that was created by a guy named Art Chansky, who's still a, an outstanding sports author here in North Carolina to this day. And fast forward a whole bunch of years, and I had gone to UNC Law School and passed the bar exam and started my own law firm right there in the Chapel Hill area. And the people who had run the old newsletter came to me. This is how life often works, right? You spend mm-hmm. three years in law school, you study your tail off, you pass the bar exam, you, you hang out your shingle, as the saying goes, as a young attorney. And then and only then did I get the offer to essentially try to take this old newsletter, which was like, you know, Xeroxed and mailed to people <laughs> through the Postal Service, uh, Did I want to take over the editorial side of something that I had been a contributor to? And my answer, to make a long story not quite as long as I'm already making it, my answer was, I am interested, I've enjoyed contributing, but the only way I am going to interrupt my young law career, which I just spent a lot of time, money, and energy (laughs) developing, is if I really get to do it all my way. And my way would include starting a website, getting rid of that old cute name. Yeah. We actually kind of kept it in the corner of the of the front page. But I said, we're going to rename this thing. We're going to rebrand this thing. The Internet was enough of an animal, that, and I understood enough of the basics to know that just like newspapers were, of course, starting their own websites to go with the print product, we're going to, A, take this rickety old simplistic New, uh, newsletter and we're going to turn it into an actual tabloid style magazine we're going to change the name if you're willing to let me and we're going to create a website if you're willing to follow my lead and we're going to compete with the, mo- the the changing newspaper landscape and we're going to continue to do a better job of covering recruiting and offering kind of insider type information and fortunately way back in 1994 they, they kind of handed me the keys to all of that 
and we created it, bought bought the domain name. The ACC wishes it thought of it first. No doubt. But we bought the do- domain name, accsports.com, and we launched sort of the web version of what became our print magazine. Um, and that was a huge part of my life. And after running it as the editor and the lead writer for a long time, I ultimately bought the magazine and the website. I later sold the magazine and the website. You know, and one of the reasons I was able to answer your question earlier with kind of a, a tone of financial independence by mm-hmm. my early 50s is that, you know, I, I've made a lot of money becoming a business owner. It's amazing. You can you can build wealth a lot more owning and running things than you can even with high salaries. Sure. It's, just, it's just the way, you know, capital gains and, and building equity and all that stuff works. So I, I did that. I'm still associated with accsports.com with their current ownership. Um, but yeah, I was kind of the, the every day, all day, every day, uh, muscle behind it, writing, editing, getting it to the printer. And even for years, handling payroll and taxes and insurance and all that stuff. <laughs> um, but it was just an idea where, uh, newspapers were doing an okay job of covering ACC football and basketball, but they were mostly leaving recruiting alone back then. Yep. And things things like twenty four seven sports and rivals and scout had not had had not come along yet. So we just pounded that void and built you know just tens of thousands of subscribers to the point that uh, you know we kept a lot of freelance writers and photographers happy. We kept uh, a lot of readers uh, and later listeners happy, and uh, it became a huge part of you know what my career has been over these last thirty plus years. Incredible. That was, <clears throat> I mean, when I was still living in Maine, before I ever thought about having a, a show or a, a website or anything like that. ACC Sports was was where I went. Um, obviously, I, when I was a student, I, I wasn't a subscriber. I just pick up what information I could, which you guys made available yep. to me, but. Um, I think when I, when I first started, um, basically where I got into writing was I started, um, on a message board and they later made me an administrator and then they later made me a contributing writer and it was, uh, the main basketball report, MBR. And that's my, you know, the name of my website and the name of this podcast is kind of an ode to them because that's where I got started. But I remember <laughs> the, one of the first places that I checked out when I was, when I was very young, probably mid twenties, when I thought that I wanted to write a little bit was accsports.com. But I, I'm a civil engineering major. I have absolutely no <laughs> accolades or credentials as far as being a writer. So obviously it, it was kind of a pipe dream at the time, but then like you, I just kind of decided to go out and do my own thing. And the fact that ACC Basketball Report as a as a, a name for a website was still available to me when I purchased it was was kind of mind blowing to me and other people. Like, really, that was still available? Like, yeah, I, I couldn't believe it either. Yeah. Um, I know this is coach. Let me jump in here. Yeah, for a second. Yeah. I just wanted wanted to say two things. One, the fact that you had accsports.com in hmm. 1990, that's basically a lottery ticket. Yeah, I mean, that, yeah. Is un- that is absolutely unbelievable. Not that you didn't put the time and the work and the effort in, but you talk about having foresight, man. That is a great futures bet right there, man. Yeah, my legal career helped with that planning. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's that's what, like that's good real estate, is what that is. I mean, that's, yeah, it yeah. is. But um, I want to. I want to. This is a basketball. Re- you know, centric podcast, but this is also the first weekend of ACC football where we had a pretty much a full slate. 
Um, you being a UNC guy, I watched um, UNC Syracuse quite a bit the other day. Final score, um, 31-6. to UNC gets the win. I The only thing that I, I really expected more of Sam Howell after a really good year last year, I kind of expected him to kind of step out and dominate. I didn't really see that. What, what were you able to glean from, from Howell's performance or UNC's performance altogether on the football field this weekend? Yeah, I think the glass half empty was that they didn't block very well, the mm-hmm. Tar Heels. And for those who only saw the final score, which did look dominant, 31-6, mm-hmm. to six, that was a 10-6 to six game yeah. at the end of the third quarter. And Howell looked and great the on the first drive of the game. Yeah, Howell looked really good on the first yeah. drive of the game. Yeah, and, and he did end up, I mean, he threw for almost 300 yards, but he had only one touchdown pass and two interceptions. He was mostly accurate, 25 out of 34. Mm-hmm. I think everybody knew that with Michael Carter and Javante Williams at running back and with Deami Brown and Bo Corrales and Daz Newsom and others at wide out, they were set at the skill positions. The line was a little bit shaky and Syracuse exploited that. When you're not, when you don't have good blocking, you can have all the best skill players in the world and uh, you're just not going to be a consistent offense. So give Syracuse some credit but also circle, you know, Carolina's offensive line is going to be worth watching the rest of the way. I think the glass half full is that anybody who's watched Carolina football knows that whether it was the John Bunting years or, you know, even the Larry Fedora years, which included, you know, a double-digit win campaign and a trip to play a close game against Clemson in the ACC title game, Whereas a lot of those Fedora offenses were brilliant, and sometimes the special teams were outstanding, the defense rarely was able to kind of carry its weight. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jay Bateman was hired by Mac Brown. They lured him away from Army, where he did great things. He was good last year, and I think he deserves credit for after a lot of turnover and some of those best, biggest, most athletic defensive linemen were seniors last year and moved on. Jay Bateman knew he had Chaz Surratt as a star linebacker, but he had to bring along a lot of other talent that had not yet reached stardom. And against Syracuse, I mean, holding anybody to six points in modern college football is impressive. Shutting down a veteran quarterback like Tommy DeVito is impressive. And a guy named Storm Duck, all-name team, right, looks great (laughs) at one cornerback, even though he's only a sophomore. And a couple of brothers, Tamari and Tamon Fox, looked great as kind of edge rusher type guys that got after DeVito. So Jay Bateman had a good plan. The personnel is better on defense than I think many were thinking with the Tar Heels this year. And that means if, if they can stay consistent on defense and maybe get a little better on the offensive line, you know, they have a chance to be a well-rounded team that, you know, after Clemson, of course, might have as good a chance as anybody else in the ACC this year in football. You bring up Clemson. Um, Clemson travels to Winston-Salem. They do not cover against Wake Forest. Is there anything to make of that? Or is it just first-week jitters? Or, you know, is are they maybe closer to the pack than we anticipated? Or is Wake a little bit better? I would, or? Yeah, I wouldn't make too much of it. Yeah. I think uh, the bottom line is they dominated that game. Mm-hmm. And I'd have to double-check the exact numbers. But it was one of those that before Dabo Sweeney took his foot off the pedal. Yeah. This the score looked a lot more lopsided, and you know, wakes back up quarterback, you know, puts some drives together. I think against like Clemson's third teamers, but Trevor Lawrence is the real deal at quarterback. Yeah. Travis Etienne is the real deal at running back. 
They have the next generation of wide receivers. Clemson's defensive front, which has a lot of new faces, absolutely dominated Wake Forest's offensive line. I mean, Wake could barely rush for, you know, a handful of yards in that entire game. So I think Clemson is the real deal. I still think Clemson is, you know, head and shoulders above the rest of the ACC. Not Mm -hmm. that they can't get caught on a given Saturday, but, you know, in a 10-game conference slate, if they lost once, it can happen. If they lost more than once, I think everybody would be really surprised. So I, I half-jokingly tweeted yesterday, because I'm not a big college football guy anyway. I'm a college basketball and NFL guy, mostly primarily. And I'm a Boston Red Sox fan when they don't blow up their team and make stupid decisions. But <laughs> I half-jokingly said yesterday, I might as well tune in today and watch Jeff Collins ruin Mike Norvell's debut. And <laughs> like, <laughs> and I have to say that I, I was... I knew about Collins. I knew that he had been at Georgia Tech prior to taking taking the head coaching job. And you actually hosted him on your show last summer before the season kicked off. And I listened to him talk, and I've, I've seen what he's done on the recruiting trail. And I'm like, this is the guy. Like, this is the guy that G-Tech needs to, to usher them from a you know, high school triple O offense to, to, you know, 2020. And to watch that freshman play quarterback, to, to kind of watch how they grind, you know, grind it out. They didn't have Jameer Gibbs in that game. What do you make of Georgia Tech knocking off Florida State? Is, is Florida State going to need more time to do a full rebuild, or, or, or what's going on there in Tallahassee? Yeah, I, I think it's a combination of, let's give Georgia Tech credit. You know, they were 3-9 and nine last year in Jeff Collins' debut. Uh, but he was, you know, a guy who went to two bowls in two years as the head coach at Temple. Mm-hmm. And as you said, had a previous background that included the Yellow Jackets. So three and nine was probably reflective of the lack of talent he had and, and also just the weird transition from all those years of the Paul Johnson triple option to a more conventional offense. Um, so it's half Georgia Tech getting better than three and nine and, and that recruiting energy. And I think there's just a lot more positivity around the program. And then the other half is that Florida State has just fallen to being a middle-of-the-pack program until (laughs) now Mike Norvell proves otherwise. You know, James Blackman's a junior quarterback, and he did not look very good. And the Seminoles have gotten into this pattern where you can circle three or four players on their defense, for example, and they're going to play in the NFL. Like, that part is same old Florida State. Asante Samuel That's at quarterback, right. Marvin Marvin Wilson on the defensive line. Um, their safety, uh, who has a very difficult name to pronounce. Uh, <laughs> but but like three or four guys that are on their way to the NFL, just like in those vintage Bobby Bowden teams. But they just don't have it in terms of the depth and uh, on both sides of the ball that they used to have. And, and they just lost their fourth straight season opener. The Seminoles, crazy. Uh, the first under Norvell, obviously, but both under Willie Taggart, and then the last one under Jimbo Fisher. The last time Florida State lost four straight season openers was the 1970s, and they hired a guy named Bobby Bowden to put an end to that kind of nonsense. So <laughs> it's it's a it's a program that actually won the national championship. Florida State, as hard as this is to believe, less than a decade ago under Jimbo Fisher. Unreal. Um, if, when, when you say three of the last seven national titles have been won by the ACC in football, it sounds like a statement you'd say in basketball. But it's everybody remembers Dabo's two with Clemson, but it's easy to forget that Jimbo Fisher, what was it, seven years ago, mm-hmm. one took the Seminoles to the promised land. So that, that gets you to three out of the last seven. 
Of course, he left for Texas A&M. The Willie Taggart experiment was a disaster. But just as maybe Georgia Tech has found their guy in Jeff Collins, I, I don't think Florida State can feel, uh, obviously, Mike Norvell needs and deserves more time to show sure. what he can do. But Willie Taggart's tenure was a disaster. And Mike Norvell is an offensive guru whose first game as a Seminoles head coach was offensively embarrassing. So that that's a proud fan base. It's a school where football pays almost all the bills, even though Leonard Hamilton's a heck of a basketball coach, especially lately. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're they're in depression mode down there, and um, I think they're expecting twenty thousand. You know, with the lower capacity because of the pandemic, mm-hmm. and I think only about seventeen thousand were announced, and fewer than that showed up. So, it's it's a weird time to be an FSU football fan because there's a whole generation of people who expected the Seminoles to be great in football pretty much every year. Uh, last last. Football thing I want to touch about, we'll finally get into the basketball, is Virginia, Virginia Tech doesn't happen this weekend. I think there was something like 53, 55 cases uh, on the Hokies' overall program. Um, what do you make as far as the impact of the pandemic, and what do you make as far as the the decision to postpone or ultimately cancel this game? Yeah, you know, NC State against Virginia Tech was, remember, pushed back from this past weekend mm-hmm. because the Wolfpack had too many complications with COVID, so... Kind of like, you know, the NBA and the NHL took the bubble approach, and it's worked incredibly well. Mm-hmm. Major League Baseball didn't really have the option of the bubble approach, and they've had a whole lot of growing pains and postponements and cancellations and COVID outbreaks. But they've persevered through those bumps in the road, and they're still in the midst of a baseball season. I think college football is going to hit a lot of those bumps in the road, much like baseball did. And... Uh, we haven't seen the last of games pushed back. And at some point, you know, you can't push them back much more. And instead of delays, they become cancellations. Um, but the ACC, the SEC, the Big 12, and some others decided to basically take these calculated gambles. It is true that after some summer outbreaks, there haven't been as many big number outbreaks as we saw for a little while at State and more recently at Virginia Tech. Um, you, you guys know there's a lot of money at stake, Sure. Um, but I think there's a different comfort level in college sports about how you put athletes at risk. Um, at the professional level, you know, it's often millionaire players negotiating with billionaire owners and they can <laughs> fight their way through the indigestion at the college level. You know, they're still amateurs and, and I think there's just a different mindset as you saw with those Big Ten and Pac-12 presidents who pushed back the football season from the fall entirely. Um, So they're going to keep trying, um, and who knows? Maybe some teams won't play the full season. Uh, Maybe others will get through. Maybe there'll be more cancellations along the way, but they've decided for a lot of different reasons to give it a go, and I think they're going to keep trying to to get through these uh, significant bumps in the road. How, well, how, how about Virginia finally wins a game in that <laughs> series last year? And, and I guess they're just going to get to milk it for 12 more months. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that, was, that one was weighing over Charlottesville forever, right? I mean, they had, they had two huge clouds. One was, yeah, Tony Bennett's a really good coach, but they'll never win the national title with that guy's <laughs> approach, right? So that cloud finally was lifted in basketball. 
And then the football one, I mean, nobody wants to lose to their rival in any sport that many times in a row. It mm-hmm. had become truly embarrassing. So, yeah, the Cavaliers <laughs> finally ended that one as well, and now they, now they, they at least you, have a few more weeks to gloat. Do you really get to talk trash, though, if you lost 15 or 16 <laughs> in a row and you finally win one? I, I'm not so sure. <laughs> in, a, in a sane world, no. But we, we don't live in a sane world anymore in a lot of different ways. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I want to, I want to kind of move into basketball a little bit and, you know, you're a Tar Heel guy, you, you know, that's where you went to law school, obviously. So I, I picked UNC to finish second in the league this year, which was kind of a, kind of a, a warm take. I won't say it's a hot take, but you know, I'm a big fan of Caleb Love. I picked Garrison Brooks to win the national player, not national player, ACC player of the year, uh, as far as the preseason goes. What are your thoughts on the Tar Heels? What are your expectations? You know, this recruiting class is obviously well documented. Um, you know, this might be one of their best teams in a couple of years. Yeah, I mean, after last year's embarrassment, uh, there's not only going to be a little bounce back, there's going to be a huge bounce back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, it's tricky, especially this far before the season, to slot everybody sure. in. I, I think in terms of tiers, and I think, you know, the top tier in the ACC includes Virginia mm-hmm. and Duke, as we've gotten used to seeing in recent years. But I also think it includes the Tar Heels, Agreed. which we expect almost every year uh, with, you know, what, two different exceptions now over Roy Williams' first 17 years. 15 NCAA tournaments, almost all of those, you know, top three in the ACC. And then last year and one other year about a decade ago where they really crashed back to earth. So I think your starting point is a good one. Caleb Love is the real deal freshman point guard uh, at, at a position that, you know, by design has to make the Tar Heels go. There are, there are programs that don't worry about, you know, point guard, wing guard, et cetera, wing forward. The Tar Heels have always been, I mean, going back to Dean Smith in the 1960s, the point guard has a monster role mm-hmm. in the way the Tar Heels play basketball. And everybody loved Cole Anthony's talent level, but the chemistry didn't work. Sure. Caleb, Caleb Love is kind of a just a long athlete who can e- either be score first at times, the way Cole Anthony was, but he is more of a distributor. And that's that just is a, a much better fit for Roy Williams' style. So, yeah, Love on the outside. Garrison Brooks is a dominating player inside. Armando Baycott is back. Uh, the the incoming big guys, Kessler and Sharp, are, are ready to play right away to some degree. And then you got a whole potpourri of guys ready to help on the wing um, from Leaky Black and Anthony Harris uh, as returnees. And then, you know, guys like Kerwin Walton and, uh, and uh, uh, Puff Johnson, mm-hmm. Cam's younger brother. I mean, that's that's a lineup when you add it all up. R.J. Davis is another one who's going to be really good. I love R.J. Davis. That, that's, yeah, that's just what you expect the Tar Heels to be. Talented, deep. Uh, several of those freshmen we mentioned are five-star, top 20 high school seniors uh, with the blend of veterans like Garrison Brooks and, and Leaky Black. And uh, I guess he's only a sophomore, but Baycott played a lot of minutes last year so. I, I think Roy Williams is up there on the tier with UVA, Duke, you know, and, and if you want to extend it a little bit, throw teams like Louisville and maybe Florida State and Syracuse up there. But uh, 
it's going to be a great ACC again. It's going to be a deep ACC. It's going to be dangerous at the top mm-hmm. with national title contenders. And uh, you know, it's, I say that as we all cross our fingers that college basketball season uh, unfolds the way that we hope it will uh, here in a couple months. Yeah, I just I want to I, I you know for a long time I thought that it wasn't going to happen. I, I I really thought that given the the unknown factor of of, of the virus that. You know, there were so many things happening as far as people losing their sense of smell and taste, uh, young yeah. people having strokes, uh, myocarditis, things like that. Just the, the 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 wide variety of different kind of symptoms, and then we don't really know how it how it spreads, how it affects people with different blood types or age. Or, right. And, and I, I'm starting to get a little bit more comfortable with the fact that <clears throat> I think it's going to happen. Um, I see, you know, I'm seeing Jeff Goodman tweet out some things every day as far as starting dates and 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 practice dates and things like that. So I'm starting to get more comfortable with the fact that I think we're going to have college basketball because I kind of held some stuff back for a while about I don't want to get too deep into everything and then have it all be for nothing. So that, you know, that would kind of be tragic, I guess. I want to stay in, in the triangle a little bit. Duke, you mentioned Duke. Duke also, have, I think Duke, North Carolina have two of the best recruiting classes, probably the top five classes in in the country. Yeah. Um, Jalen Johnson's a star. Jeremy Roach, um, significant knee injury during his prep time, but still a very talented player after he came back. I, I picked Duke to finish third. I picked Virginia to finish first, and obviously North Carolina to finish second. W- what do you make of the Blue Devils going into this season? Yeah, I have a similar mindset as you in terms of the pecking order. Um, it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, it, it's hard to win when you churn through players the way Coach K has, you mm-hmm. know, and uh, Coach K has done it at, at times, um, just like John Calipari at uh, Kentucky has done it at times. But when you say goodbye to Vernon Carey Jr. as a mm-hmm. freshman and Trey Jones, the point guard, as a sophomore and Cassius Stanley as a freshman, but also guys like Delorier and, you know, Alex O'Connell transferred and, um, I guess Jack White and Justin Robinson were seniors. You know, that's saying goodbye to a lot of people. Yep. I think I just named seven different guys. Mm-hmm. That's It's not impossible to overcome, but it's just hard for even a Hall of Fame coach with prep All-American players to make all the pieces come together that quickly. Now, any coach would tell you, do they want that challenge? <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> it, it's, it beats the challenge of trying to get, you know, uh, donkeys to look like thoroughbreds, you know, <laughs> to, to steal another phrase. But, um, yeah, Jalen Johnson's an absolute stud uh, and was at the high school level. He's smart. He's versatile. He's skilled. He's smooth. He's a passer. He's a scorer. And he's like a six nine guy with wing skills, mm-hmm. you know, and some guard skills. That's just – that's not something we see very often. So Roach being the answer at point guard is a huge key. has to happen for Duke to get where it wants to go this year. And then they need to see new and improved versions of guys like Matthew Hurt and Wendell Moore Jr. Because, you know, they played 20-plus minutes each last year. We we saw what they did as prep All-Americans, but they were they were nice players last year. Mm-hmm. They were they were far from great by ACC standards. And anybody who wants to challenge for that top tier in the ACC in the sport of basketball – you better have multiple stars. And I could see Jalen Johnson being one of those stars. Who else is ready to be a star? Which of the other freshmen are truly ready 
to be stars by ACC standards because, you know, Jordan Goldwire is just a nice role player and, yeah. and Patrick Tepay, the transfer, is just a nice role player and Joey Baker is just a nice role player. Uh, Matthew Hurt and Wendell Moore Jr. need to get better and more than one of those freshmen need to be really, really good for Duke to get where it wants to go. I think if I was going to choose another guy, it would be DJ Stewart. I think he is offensively gifted. I think if I was, I think he kind of fits almost like what Gary Trent did for them a couple of years ago. I don't know if he's as yep. good of a shooter as as Trent was, but I think he can be a high level scorer. Um, when we're talking about Moore and Hurt, I, I give the edge to Hurt because if, if Wendell Moore doesn't hit that shot against Carolina, that putback shot against Carolina. Are we so high on him this year? Because I'm not high. I'm, I see people putting him second, third team All ACC, and I just I don't see that with him. I see I see that more from Matthew Hurt. I think he's got the size and the skill set to to maybe be a big sophomore push. I agree with you on that, and uh, Moore needs to get a lot better offensively if he wants to take that next step. Matthew Hurt already is really well developed for a six foot nine guy offensively he needs to get better at the other end of the floor where as we all know if you do too many of the wrong things or you don't die for the loose ball or you don't show a willingness to be physical that Mike Krzyzewski guy no matter how skilled you are (laughs) offensively is going to have some problems with you so those guys know what they need to do better it's different and opposite ends of the court for the two of them Um, but yeah you mentioned the nature of that I think it's four of those six incoming freshmen for coach K are five-star, top 25-type high school seniors. Mm-hmm. And even and I agree with you about DJ Stewart, man. He, he's just one of those tough Chicago kids who he, he might be only 6'2", mm-hmm. um, but he somehow managed to be just a flat-out stud shooter and scorer from the wing, even at 6'2". Um, how much of that translates to the ACC, we'll see. At the very least, he's going to be a good player. Will he be a great player as a freshman? I don't know. But whereas, you know, I think the Tar Heels and UVA, and maybe even others, um, I think they already know who some of their stars are going to be. Like you mentioned Garrison Brooks. Mm -hmm. Or at UVA, they already know the Marquette transfer, Sam Hauser is going to be one of their absolute studs. Um, Duke is going to need to figure itself out. This is not a, they know they're going to follow Jalil Okafor before he even showed up for the first day of practice. And this is not a, they know they're going to follow Zion Williamson before he um, and, and um, Barrett's, you know, showed up for the first day of practice. Jalen Johnson is, is close to that level. But I think there's, you know, there's going to be more of an evolution for this Duke team than some of those years where Coach K said, like at preseason media day, yeah, we know Ja is the guy we need to follow if we want to get somewhere special. Right. Um, headed down the road to Raleigh, I, I, I want to like Kevin Keats. I, I want to think that he's the answer at NC State. I like his style of play. I, I, I even like the way he recruits. I like the talent that he accumulates. But I don't see how the Wolfpack improve this year when they lose Markel Johnson. I would have felt better about it had Josh Hall stayed and not gone pro. But yeah, you know, if you're telling me that Braxton Beverly is going to handle the ball a little bit more, I really like Devin Daniels. I think Manny Bates is probably the ACC Defensive Player of the Year. I, I, I just 
I wonder if they're going to give Keats... Well, I think they're going to give Keats enough time because I think the fan base really likes him. They kind of feel the same way I do. But at some time, you just got to see it click and, and they got to take that next step, right? Yeah, and I think maybe it was two years ago he got a six-year deal. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Uh, that means you know he's got four years ahead of him. Um, and he was what, sixth in the ACC this past year, 20 wins, 10-10 yeah. and 10 in conference play. So that that's that's usually, as he's found out the hard way, you know, that's kind of some years right on the bubble. So uh, he probably would have been an NIT team this past year if there was an N- you know, postseason. Uh, he was in the NIT the previous year, but he did make the NCAA tournament uh, in his first year with the Wolfpack. I, I tend to think that they're an NCAA tournament team. In my extremely rough, way too early, 1 through 15, I have the Wolfpack 8th, mm-hmm. which, you know, in some years, generally, again, that's near the bubble. In 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 some leagues, if you're 8th, you're in big trouble. In the ACC, if you're 8th, you're probably a bubble team. <laughs> um, you know, Devin Daniels, I thought, came along really well yep. last year. D, DJ Funderburk flirted with the NBA but decided to stay. Uh, so there's there's three seniors. You mentioned Braxton Beverly on the outside. Daniels, I thought, was a much improved version of himself last year. Yep. And DJ in the post. That's three seniors to build around. And, and that's something worth noting in modern college basketball with teams getting so much younger. Uh, I agree with what you said about Manny Bates as a super defender uh, and a guy coming along really well. It, it'll be interesting to see, given – that their best incoming freshman, as you said, what is that, two years in a row where their best mm-hmm. incoming freshman never made it to campus at NC State. Uh, how many of those other guys, Cam Hayes, Shaquille Moore, um, how many of them are really ready to help as freshmen? Yeah. If Kevin Keats finds two or three real contributors in the freshman class, I think he has an NCAA tournament caliber team. If he doesn't find those two or three guys, you know, then that could make it a much tougher road. Yeah, I think I think it really depends on the point guard position. Um, you know, Braxton, I, I like Beverly as a player. He was not incredibly inf- as efficient as I would like to see him. Um, sometimes he just just he, he's kind of more of a volume shooter sometimes, and I, I'm not yeah. sure I trust him to yeah. be a ball handler. Um, I guess the last one before we kind of move on to to the next tier is staying in the triangle. I thought what Wake Forest did in the off season was pretty brilliant as far as getting out from underneath that Danny Manning contract. And they basically had free reign over whoever they wanted to chase because nobody else was making a change during the offseason. So they weren't really competing against anybody else as far as contract offers or whatever. I thought they made a great choice in, in bringing Steve Forbes in. What's your opinion of, of how Wake Forest approached the coaching change? And were you surprised that they were able to get out from underneath Manning's contract so early? Yeah, well, it's fascinating because I'm not even sure that story is over yet. Um, okay. I, re- I really put my legal uh, degree to work on, the, on that, and I talked to Danny and some of his advisors and tried to get Wake to talk about it as well. But, you know, the long story short is, yes, they got out of that deal. Danny believes that they owe him $15 million to get out of those final five years of the deal. And Wake is arguing that they owe a lot less than that. (laughs) And uh, I have not seen, it's a private university, so they do not need to, it's not required for them to make various things public. And maybe that's one of the reasons it's been so quiet. But there's a huge gap between 
you you owe me 15 million to fire me and wake's argument which is we owe you very little to to fire you i heard it was seven i I heard that number was six or seven or something like that i don't know yeah and that sounds that sounds like more of a negotiation Mm -hmm. than a legal point of view because um without getting into the nitty-gritty boring legal stuff basically if if you fire a coach for cause Mm -hmm. you don't owe him anything that's right if you fire him just for losing too many games, which legally is known as um, without cause, you owe him the full buyout. That's right. So, so in a legal sense, it would usually be either you owe him fifteen million or you owe him zero. If you're really saying you fired him with cause, which can be a lot of different really bad things. Mm-hmm. Um, some are speculating that, you know, he didn't graduate enough players and they're trying to argue that he did not fulfill his contract uh, by, you know, doing his making his best efforts to make sure, you know, you didn't mess with the academic progress rate. That is not an argument that I have ever seen work in major college athletics. Yeah, that's a little thin. So yeah. to see Wake, which in my opinion and experience generally does things above the board and in a very fair and equitable manner, to see them sort of taking more of an SEC-style cutthroat <laughs> approach to firing a coach, that was kind of eye-opening to me. But I agree with your statement that the bottom line is good for Wake, right? Mm-hmm. You get rid of this coach. He was not the right fit. He showed that through six seasons and only one NCAA tournament. Uh, they never were very good defensively. Um, and maybe you'll get out from at least part of that $15 million buyout. And, of course – you get a guy in Steve Forbes who did very good things at East Tennessee State, finished top three in the Southern Conference all five years there, twice in first place. That's a that's a coaching upgrade. There's just absolutely no doubt about it. So we'll see how the legal stuff plays out. I don't think Steve Forbes will have a good debut. No. I think Wake, you know, just is really short on manpower uh, and is ticketed for the bottom third of the ACC to, to be nice about it. But, uh, you know, they have a breath of fresh air. They, they like their new coach. They're going to play hard for him. They tried to grab some grad transfers who probably won't be enough to lift them into the middle of this league. No. Uh, they just need the returning guys to get better. And, of course, you know, now that he's been there longer, he needs to recruit the next generation because the, that's the only thing that will buy him a long-term ticket in Winston-Salem is if he's working on uh, guys who won't show up until next summer and the summer after that, because that's how you build a program. Coach, yep. coach, I have my hand, I have my hand up. Call him, <laughs> please. I, I know that you're a fan of the, the Forbes hire, so go ahead. Well, I am a fan, but first let me say the shot against the SEC was totally boring. <laughs> I mean, come on now. Even if it, even if it was deserved, I'm, I'm an SEC guy. I'll, I'll live down in SEC country. But uh, the, the Forbes hire to me, I thought it was brilliant. Now, I don't follow this stuff probably as closely as you guys, but I'm going to make a comparison here. It very much reminds me of Auburn hiring Bruce Pearl. Mm-hmm. Now, there is a connect. There is a connection there. Yeah, yeah. Forbes, he worked for Pearl. Guy has a lot of energy. Now, I'll say this. I think that Forbes' mountain he has to climb is tougher than the mountain that Pearl had to climb. But I am very, very bullish on this hire. I think Forbes is a great choice, and I think he is going to do very well. And keep in mind, I, I, I watch a lot of Auburn basketball, and, and if you would have seen Pearl's 
first roster, it was nauseating mm-hmm. to, to watch to watch yeah. them play. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's going to be very similar for Ford. He just needs time, and I, I really do think he's going to get it done at Wake. I, I agree with your assessment of his coaching ability, and uh, one one twist is that it'll be interesting to see. He has built part of his success, as Bruce Pearl has, on recruiting junior college guys. Yep. And Wake Forest, as a really high academic private university, has very little experience with junior college guys. So and he it, it doesn't mean he can't tweak his formula to better fit Wake, but it does mean you know, Auburn is not tying Bruce Pearl's hands behind his back with their academic requirements. <laughs> uh, another, another shot. Oh, my God. I know. I know. Uh, the truth hurts sometimes. You know, it's like when people say, why do I, why do I praise – why do I praise the SEC in football so much? Why do I praise the ACC in basketball so much? Why? Because I tell the truth. Because <laughs> the SEC is the king in football most of the time, and the ACC is king in basketball most of the time. But, yeah, the truth is uh, neither Tennessee nor Auburn is all that concerned with, uh, with Bruce Pearl's academic details. Uh, well, yeah. Wake, Wake Forest is concerned by such things, and Steve Forbes has one more hurdle to deal with. Yeah, absolutely. In fairness, I said the mountain, I believe, is, is certainly much higher to climb. And yes. That, yeah. that is, a, is an obstacle that Pearl did not have at Tennessee and does not have at Auburn. So, yeah. But I still, I still think Forbes is an excellent coach, and I think he's going to bring a lot of energy, and I think he's going to do very well. Yeah, and the other part of the equation is in the SEC, in, in all seriousness, their depth in football is insane. It's so insanely good that if you're the football coach at Vanderbilt, imagine how hard it is to climb a ladder in a league where the football teams include Alabama and Auburn and LSU and Georgia and Florida and Texas A&M and others. Now, the ACC is a little is a little bit like that in basketball, mm-hmm. where if you're Steve Forbes at Wake, and again, I share a lot of the optimism that you have about him. But you're in a league where UVA is on a roll with a young coach. Duke and Carolina are monstrosities, although their coaches are obviously getting older in, the, in their 70s now. <laughs> um, Florida State's on a roll. Louisville is is uh, back or on its way back under Chris Mack. Uh, you know, Syracuse has another ancient coach in Jim Beheim, but is going to be good again this year. So it's like the the SEC football question for Vanderbilt. Which of those bodies are you climbing over to rise up the ladder? And and that's the wake challenge in basketball is, man, I mean, I can see him leapfrogging a Boston College I, eventually. I can see him um, getting over, you know, Clemson, where basketball is a distant second to football, of course. You know, Virginia Tech historically is not dangerous in basketball, but they have a good coach in Mike Young. Mm-hmm. So it's just a tough league to climb the ladder, right? Because uh, when one team goes up, somebody else has to come down. Well, it takes a very dynamic coach to do it. And James Franklin at Vanderbilt was able to get it done yeah. somehow. Yeah. And uh, so it takes a dynamic guy. It takes a guy with a lot of energy that's willing to, to butt heads and get after it. And we'll see. Yeah. I think we'll put- I, I think – Two things, really, is Wake Forest lucked out because the reason that Forbes 
hasn't taken a, high, a power six job thus far or two years ago was because he did coach under under Bruce Pearl during Pearl's yep. questionable years. So Wake Forest really lucked out there because somebody should have hired Steve Forbes two years ago. Um, <clears throat> the other thing is if Wake Forest gives Steve Forbes six years like they did Danny Manning, it's going to work out to their benefit and he's going to succeed, I think, in building that program. Um I, I just I, I believe in his style. I believe in his personality. I think he's going to get it done. I think he got a bad rep by being associated with Pearl, and now he's he's probably going to be on the warpath and make some people pay. Um, getting outside of the triangle, I, I'm a, I'm kind of a I'm kind of bullish on Miami this year. I also really like Georgia Tech. Um, where I get a little bit different than other people is Florida State and Louisville. David, I, you know, I don't see how you lose Trent Forrest and Devin Vassell and still maintain that level of excellence. Certainly, they won they won the league last year. Obviously, they're going to fall back a little bit this year. How far is yet to be determined? Louisville obviously struggles without War last year. Now he's not even there anymore, and they're relying on some people kind of developing into that role. You know, what are your thoughts on Florida State, Louisville um, possibly falling back, as well as teams like Miami and Georgia Tech possibly taking a step forward? Yeah, I like Georgia Tech as well. I think I have them seventh in my uh, my just for fun off season rankings. You know, mm-hmm. the bottom line is it's it's kind of do or die time for Josh Pastner mm-hmm. in year five, and he he has enough personnel to do. You know, Jose Alvarado is a fantastic senior point guard, and Michael DeVoe is a fantastic junior. You know, whatever you want to call him, combo guard, etc. <laughs> right. um, when you're when your starting point is a junior and senior who have, you know, I think they both probably averaged around 35 minutes a game last year. Yep. I mean, that's a really solid foundation. But he's a, Josh Pastner's a guy who hasn't yet taken the Yellow Jackets to a single NCAA tournament, you know, and, and that's a school that in basketball believes it needs to be, it should be a lot better than that. Yep. So uh, how much help do those two guys get? Uh, Moses Wright is a nice player from here in North Carolina that's uh, – I think going into his senior year there, um, he he doesn't have a great freshman class coming in. So we'll we'll see how much of an immediate impact he gets the way a lot of other uh, ACC schools clearly will get that uh, big boost from their freshmen. Uh, But I agree with you that that the Yellow Jackets should be considered an NCAA tournament uh, contender. I'm not quite as high on Miami. Uh, maybe as you are, okay. I, I see them as, you know, not a bad team, but but probably not a great team either. And then when it comes to Florida State and Louisville, I, I do think they're behind, you know, those top, certainly behind the top three of Virginia, Duke, and Carolina, whatever order you want to put those three in. Um, but Louisville and Florida State could, would be, to me, on tier two. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think – Carlick Jones um, was the Big South Player of the Year last year, and he's yep. going to be an immediately eligible transfer from Radford to Louisville. Now, how how good in the ACC is a guy who absolutely dominated the Big South? Yep. I mean, 20 points per game and hit threes and twice as many assists as turnovers. Just just a phenomenal player of the year in that league. And some people, people say, yeah, but it's the Big South. Well, when you're the best player in any league, you're pretty <laughs> right. darn good. That's right? right. So um, I, th- I think, you know, that's one of the reasons that I think Louisville can sort of remain an NCAA tournament team. I think David Johnson, with what he showed, 
you know, in glimpses, including against Duke, Duke last year. Yeah. I think he has a chance to be a superstar. Malik Williams in the post. I think they can ask more of him and get more from him. Uh, Samuel Williamson is another really talented guy. Uh, and they recruit well, not only transfers, but uh, they have a couple of freshmen who should be able to help right away. So uh, Leonard Hamilton's going to, you know, Florida State, it feels like even when they send quality to the NBA, as Devin Vassell and Patrick Williams and Trent Forrest, you know, all qualify, they somehow, because Leonard Hamilton plays so many guys, you know, and uses the deepest bench in America, mm-hmm. they never crash back to earth. It, the, the next generation is almost always ready at Florida State. Maybe not to be great, or as you said, certainly not to be an ACC champion again. But um, an NCAA tournament contender, I would say yes, uh, and I probably feel that way about, you know, eight or nine teams in the ACC. Mm-hmm. I I. I th- you know, I really love Scotty Barnes. I just think this is it's it's a different a different transition this time for Florida State as far as you know senior point. I think Trent Forrest was criminally underrated throughout his entire career at, yeah. at Wake Forest, and now I, I think you know I've people and and people in the know have told me that Scotty Barnes, who's a a tremendous freshman, True. you know, True. very athletic, is going to handle the ball a lot. So. You know, it depends. You know, MJ Walker hasn't really taken that step that we anticipated since he was a freshman. I think Anthony Polite's going to have a nice year. Balsa, I'm not sure if I'm buying, um, but it, you know, they're they're going to be athletic. They're going to be big. They're going to play defense. We know that. Uh, I'm just not sure where all the points and where all the coordination is going to come from this year. Hey, by the way, when's when's the last time the ACC incoming freshman with the most hype was not from Duke or Carolina? <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I'd have to, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm don't, asking a question. Yeah, I don't, I don't even know. have the answer to off the top of my head. But I think Scotty Barnes at Florida State is the answer this year. Yeah. I'm sure it's happened. I'm probably forgetting somebody. But, maybe Jonathan Isaac. Um, maybe. Maybe. I'm not yeah, sure that was a, the case. That's but. a good one. Um, yeah, occasionally. I mean, Louisville recruits well. Sometimes State will grab a high-profile guy. But, but yeah, it's, it's almost always Duke, a Duke or Carolina guy. And I, I think Scotty Barnes is that good. Um, and probably enough to keep the Seminoles, you know, at least near that upper tier. So I got just just a couple more questions, and I'll get you out of here, David. I know we're running a little bit long, but um, we've kind of danced around it a little bit in this conversation. But how do you actually think the, the pandemic is going to impact the season? Are we going to look at multiple bubble situations, or, or what is your kind of hypothesis or anticipated impact? Yeah, I think um, they're voting this week on a proposal that uh, the season would start just a little bit before Thanksgiving. Um, And and one of the reasons that I'm optimistic, I'm not sure, I think it's too early to tell about the bubble. It's good to see them talking about that possibility um, and making plans for the possibility. Uh, I've seen even, you know, the idea of the, the early season tournament in Asheville, North Carolina, that would be bubble style. So maybe we'll see it in smaller doses. You obviously can't put a bubble all over all of college hoops the way they did over all of the NBA. But, but one reason I have for optimism is I don't think a lot of folks realize how much the science has changed mm-hmm. since we were having these conversations around football in June and July and even August. Coaches were complaining as recently as about a month ago that their football players would get COVID tests and not get the, 
the result of the COVID test until right. seven to ten days later. Days later. Mm-hmm. There are scientists who will tell you that a test that doesn't give you an answer until ten days later is essentially worthless mm-hmm. because the guy who was positive just walked around for ten days infecting other people. That's right. By the time you figured out he was positive. So now that ten day turnaround is a one day, less than twenty four hour turnaround. And in football, rather than testing at one point like once a week, they're testing, you know, three times a week. Um, and, and, you know, basketball, of course, has 15 guys to deal with in terms of players instead of 100 plus guys to deal with. So I think that the improving science and technology, the smaller numbers of men's basketball, the isolated bubble possibilities. And, and really, you know, in the state of North Carolina, where I am right now, we've gone from having 12% of people tested test positive or at the university of North Carolina for a while, one out of every three students getting a COVID test was testing positive. That's a really, really, really bad number. State, statewide, statewide, we've gone from double digit rates. I mean, week after week after week, it was 10%, 11%, 12%. And the scientists said that, you know, generally speaking, if you get it all the way down to 5% positives, well, that, that's a that's a, a rate where the science just starts to get better. Mm-hmm. In other words, you know, people are healing quickly for the most part, and and you just you don't end up with the exponent exponential explosions. Is that well, the, the herd science, immunity deal? Is that is that what we're, yeah. 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 So here we are in September, and we're down to five percent in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some states like where, you know, in New York, where Syracuse is located and some others, they're well past the biggest problems of their COVID, they believe. Um, So a lot of these trends are pointing in the right direction. And and that's, you know, when you roll them all into a ball, uh, that's why I'm optimistic about the college basketball season, um, you know, starting in late November. And uh, I'm sure there'll be some postponements and maybe even cancellations, but as with Major League Baseball, I think you can persevere through those and, and you know have something mostly resembling a season. So I think uh, we got. I got one more question, and then the chimp is going to put you in the bonus, and I'll explain that in just a second as far as what we get in the show. Um, it was actually uh, interesting that you alluded to it earlier because I, I I didn't share the outline with you prior to the show, but you brought it up anyway. <clears throat> when when we look towards the future in the ACC. You've got Coach K, Roy, Bayheim, mm. Larinaga. I mean, Leonard Hamilton looks like he's 45, but he's in his late <laughs> 60s, I believe. But, you know, a lot of these, I, I think Mike Bray is possibly a, a, an early retiree candidate, um, given recent events and, and some comments he's made in the past. Uh, you know, I think Louisville has made a great move in, in hiring Chris Mack. We've already talked about Wake Forest making a great move with Steve Forbes. NC State making a uh, what I think is a good move in Kevin Keats if they give him the right amount of time. Yep. Um, what do you think this conference looks like in in, in five to seven years? As far as it, you know, some of the replacements. Obviously, we can't replace six or seven Hall of Famers. Is do you expect the ACC to kind of come back to the pack and and be just a, one of the regular Power Six conferences in the next few years? I think that's the mega million dollar question, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't, you know, we can all speculate, but I don't think there is an answer. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you cannot expect Mike Krzyzewski's successor right. to be as good as Mike Krzyzewski. You, you can't expect anyway. Roy Williams, right? Roy Williams successor is not going to be as good as Roy Williams in all likelihood. 
Um, you mentioned the others. You know, Leonard Hamilton is one of the greatest basketball coaches in Florida State history, if not the greatest, yep. right? Jim Beheim is Syracuse basketball. Even a guy like Jim Laranega, who's also up there in age, you know, given that Miami once abandoned basketball entirely uh, <laughs> at the Division One level, you know, that guy brought him an ACC basketball title mm-hmm. and has done other good things. So this is going to be, I'm trying to, I can't think of a more massive turnover in my 30-plus years covering the Atlantic Coast Conference in either of the major sports. You mentioned five to seven years. The odds are that in a 15-team league, the majority, eight or more, will be changing coaches within the next five to seven years. And, you know, who are the athletic directors? Do they make good decisions? Which of those programs are viewed as great jobs? Duke and Carolina are, but not everybody wants to follow the legend. That can complicate searches sometimes. Uh, Who is that next generation? How many no-brainer hirees are there? Um, I don't see enough to fill all of those vacancies that we just discussed. So uh, you're you're putting your finger on one of the – probably the biggest question in the future of the Atlantic Coast Conference is whether they can develop depth on a more consistent basis in football because football makes even more money than basketball overall. But maybe the second biggest question is the one you just asked. How – how do they follow uh, this half a dozen or more coaches who are in that age bracket but are also among the best in their school's history, if not the best in their school's history? I don't think we have a clear answer right now. We don't even know who the athletic directors will be in some cases right. by the time these guys step away. Um We know Duke and Carolina are viewed as iconic programs, and there will be long lines of people willing to take those jobs. The others, to varying degrees, are are not automatically that way. And um, that's what makes it fun to watch. That's also what makes it kind of unpredictable, both the timing, you know, and the successors to those coaches. Yeah, it's it's been a question that I've been pondering for, I mean, probably the last 18 months. Like, you just start looking at some of – the coaches and their, their coaching trees. And I mean, like coach K's coaching tree isn't overly impressive. I, I guess I'm like, like Bray is on that coaching tree, but we had Tom Noy yeah. from the South Bend Tribune on a few weeks ago. And he, he basically told us in no uncertain, in no uncertain terms that Mike Bray is absolutely not interested in following coach K in Durham. And I don't think anybody wants to be the guy that follows the guy. You want to be the guy that follows the guy that follows the guy you want to be, you want to be the next guy. You want to be Bill Guthridge. You don't want to be Matt Doherty. You know what I mean? So, or I'm sorry, you want to be Roy Williams. You don't want to be Matt Doherty. Um, but yeah, it it just, it's going to be very interesting. I think in the, in the next coming years, um, the way we like to close out the show on ACC BR, David is we call it putting you in the bonus. And what it is, is the chimp comes up with a seven pack of questions. Um, they're more of a personal, I guess, level to get uh, the audience to get to kind of know you a little bit better on a personal level. I do not know the questions and very frequently they put me in a a state of laughter that I can't control. So (laughs) I'm going to hand you over to my partner and uh, wait with uh, bated breath. All right, Chip, be nice. (laughs) Oh, I'm going to be very nice. Now, question number one, you being a lawyer, I'm a little bit nervous. There may be some trademark infringement on this question. (laughs) you, You have to promise not to sue me on this one. All right, question number one. How did you 
and the lovely and talented Maria meet, and how did you propose? Uh, that's a great question. Thank you for answering that one. So we met at a dinner party where we were not each other's dates. <laughs> wow. So she was with her boyfriend, and I was with a basically brand new, almost a blind date situation, and it was at somebody's house. And I went to a mutual friend of ours who was also at the dinner during the course of that dinner and said, you know, my date is kind of cool, but what's up with that Maria girl? <laughs> And uh, as as it turned out, sadly, Maria was not nearly as intrigued with me. <laughs> but she did say, hey, you know, my friend, so-and-so who hosted the party, she got a pretty cool blind date in that Dave guy. Like, that was that was the closest thing to a compliment that I got. But here's the cool part. I, I'm, I'm glad you asked. I... This is viewed as either romantic by some or obnoxious by others, and I'm not offended, but... I was the best man at a wedding months after we had that first encounter at that dinner party. We did not, you know, we, we certainly didn't date after that. We just ended up guests at the same wedding, and I was the best man at the wedding. And I swear to you that this is true. But I went up to her. She was still with the same boyfriend, but they were supposedly on the outs. And I swear to you that I said these words. I am asking you out for the day after you break up with that guy over there. <laughs> and that she is wrong, re- man. And, and I'm telling you, she said that she thought it was obnoxious, but when she told her college girlfriends, who are still her closest friends, they thought it was romantic, you know, wonderful, ballsy, gutsy, you know. Yeah, ballsy's the word. Whatever. Sure. And, and I think they all apply. It probably was obnoxious, right? But uh, I'm a big fan of, you know, uh, shooting your shot since we're on a basketball show. That's right. Um, and sure enough, she broke up with that guy, and sure enough, she remembered what I said, and it wasn't literally the day after, but uh, maybe we'll make it that way in the movie, it writes. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so, you know, stick your neck out, take a chance. She's way too beautiful to, to say yes to me, but she ultimately did, and now we've been married uh, for more than 20 years, and uh, I think she would agree that we've been mostly happily married for more than 20 years. Well, that is a fantastic story. That is that is awesome. All right, question question number two. Now, this one, this question will not live up to question number one. You're you're forced to get a tattoo. What are you going? What are you going with? And what part of the body are we putting a tattoo on? I'm definitely going somewhere discreet because I don't think tattoos would look great on me. I, I think they look good on other people. To each his own. To each her own. Um. Let's go with maybe like um, the Philadelphia Eagles logo. I grew up in Philly. I was there when they won the Super Bowl over the Patriots a couple years ago. I took my son out to Minneapolis. I'm still really good friends with several of my childhood buddies who still go to Eagles games regularly. I'm, I'm the guy who's way down here in North Carolina. So I think I could get away with an Eagles tattoo. And what would be discreet? Like, is, do guys get them on their ankles, or is that just a girl thing? I don't even know. That's I am, what I would do. I'm That's the least knowledgeable tat. You'd go ankle? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm good with that then. If I get your green light chip, I'm, I'm going for the <laughs> ankle eagles tattoo. Sounds good. All right, question number three. What is your favorite John Grisham novel? 
I think it's his um, first famous one, A Time to Kill. Ah. There, uh, there's, a, there's a pretty intense scene in the book and the movie that I think uh, is jarring uh, to folks who may not want to deal with a lot of racial injustice issues. But uh, my legal career and, and some of my views about America and society, I, I think, are really wrapped up well uh, by by Grisham's portrayal in A Time to Kill. Is that Samuel Jackson on the stand? Uh, is that the is that the part we're talking about? That that's correct. Yes, that that's uh, intense. Yeah. And yeah, that yeah. Talk, talking talking to the jury. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, I, I guess spoiler spoiler alert. Well, I've, I've never read the book, so I, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I try to allude to the point without actually giving it away. But yes, I agree, absolutely. And and All uh, right. and and now picture that the little girl is white. Right. Yeah. That yeah. that moment. Yeah. <clears throat> all right. Question number four, and uh, asking a lawyer this question, I think, makes it all the more interesting. <laughs> Should marijuana be legalized nationwide? Hell yes. And Absolutely! I'm, yeah, yeah, three for three, I'm, baby. I'm not, three three. And it's funny, like I, I am not even a partaker myself. Me neither. You know, unlike unlike Bill Clinton, I didn't even uh, exhale or inhale. Um, <laughs> but let's just say that many, many, many people close to me, perhaps even residents of my own house, <laughs> would take would take full <laughs> would take full advantage. If Colorado-style rules applied here in the great state of North Carolina or anywhere else we may be. Awesome. Love the answer. So, <laughs> real, real quick, Chimp, I'm going to jump in. Um, this, I, I'm 37 now, but when I was probably 31, 32, there's, a, there's an amphitheater back home in Maine where you basically go up and take your RV in park for the summer and they have bands every weekend or comedians or whatever. And it's basically... Like a reservation where anything goes. I mean, people walk around with beers. People walk around smoking joints. It's just like free-for-all. And my yeah. mother is is anti-drug regardless of the drug. And <laughs> my father is the exact opposite of my mother. And hmm. hangs out with people in, in that circle, I guess. And my mom goes to bed one night. We're kind of sitting around the campfire. And a friend of my dad's, you know, lights up a joint. And he says, you know, Michael, you, you want to hit us? Yeah, I'll, t- I'll take a hit off a joint. And, uh, you know, we're sitting at a campground, I'm half cut anyway, why not? It's 11 o'clock at night. Well, as soon as I take it and and take a hit off of it, I hear a door open, but I don't really pay much attention to it. And I'm, I'm 32 years old at the time, and somebody <laughs> just backhands me across the back of my head. Oh, no. And I turn around, and my mom is standing there, and she says, what are you doing? And, I, and, and like Bill Clinton, I said, Mom, I didn't even inhale. Like, <laughs> like she's going to go for that. And uh, again, thirty-two years old, getting getting the shit kicked out of me by my mother because I was smoking a joint at a campground on a Saturday night. But uh, yeah, I, I'm all for it. My mother, not so much. All right, that, that's Question. a great story. And she probably <laughs> called. And that's not a Mike moment, right? That's a Michael. That's right. Yeah, Michael, yeah. That's, a, that's a Michael John that's a moment. Full yeah, name. yeah, yeah, for sure. <clears throat> when I got in trouble as a kid, it was always the full David. There was no Dave. There was no DG. There was none of that. It was David. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Go ahead. All Tim. right. Question. Question number five. Uh, you'll like this one. What is your favorite golf course you played? What is your lowest round? And have you ever made a hole in one? I've never made a hole in one, and that's so sad to say. I did not start playing golf until uh, my twenties. 
So I had been a baseball player my whole life, and I still have baseball elements in my golf swing, which is not a good thing at all. Um, <laughs> and maybe that's why I remain so inconsistent. I My goal has been to get back to bogey golf, which would be, you know, typically a 90 on a par 72 course. My lowest score ever is, I think, an 88. So I've never been a great golfer, but I've never really been a horrific golfer either. And um, probably the best course I've ever played is uh, Pinehurst number two. Nice. Yeah, that's a good one. I've played I've played most of the great courses here in North Carolina. I've been kind of spoiled by my job, but I've I I really haven't played many great courses elsewhere. So I don't I don't have any Augusta or Pebble Beaches to throw at you. But they've really spoiled me here in North Carolina. It's kind of uh, a lot of media tournaments, charity tournaments and other invitations where you not only played great courses, you got to play for free, which is sort of doubles the fun. Uh, well, put Ireland or Scotland on your bucket list. Oh, geez. yeah, yeah. I, and I and I've been there, but I was not with golfers. So I was just in England last summer, but with my family, and none of the three of them plays golf. So I got to go back just with my golfing buddies. I shot a. Uh, I hear you. I, I shot a ninety-seven at Palmetto at Myrtlewood, maybe like five years ago, and I felt like Tiger Woods that day. Like I shot, I almost shot triple digits, and I still felt fantastic about the round that I was playing. Hey, when when I play '90s type golf, I still feel heroic as well. Um, <laughs> a, a buddy of mine who's close to a scratch golfer says that I am the most confident bad golfer he's ever met. <laughs> he, he's he said, "DG, most bad golfers do, are, are bad because it gets in between their ears and they lose confidence and they start throwing clubs." He goes, "No, you're just bad because you have a bad swing, but you, you actually think every shot's going to be a good shot." So he says, "Maybe that's how you're getting close to bogey golf again because you actually think you're good when you're really not at all." <laughs> that's, a, that's a that's a shot right to the the, the soul. Yeah. That's what best friends are for. That's right. right. That's and, right. And he's and he's so good. I just keep my mouth shut and keep going. You know, it's humbling to play with a scratch golfer. Indeed. Yeah. Yes, it is. All right, question number six. What was, throughout all the years you did radio, all the interviews you conducted, what's the most memorable interview and why? I think it's probably with uh, President Barack Obama. Oh, wow. Um, I was lucky enough to interview two different presidents, uh, George, the, the younger George Bush on baseball. And, but he was not the president at the time I interviewed him, so that was a little different. I, I interviewed Obama while he was president. Um, of course, that's going to be memorable to anybody, mm-hmm. uh, you know, under any circumstances. But in this particular case, the long story short is Dean Smith had died. And the, uh, the president, who, of course, was a huge Michael Jordan fan, Chicago Bulls fan, and, and as a sort of... Uh, an extension, a Dean Smith fan, a UNC fan. Once the president chose to put out a statement on official White House letterhead commenting on Dean Smith's passing years ago, (laughs) I told my staff, you know, if he's willing to do that, then he might be willing to talk to the host of a statewide sports radio show in a specific state where UNC is located, you know, where the host is me, who interviewed Dean Smith for over a decade. I used to get one-on-one interviews with coach smith so my producer at the time was a guy named hayes permar he he's just a good friend of mine to this day 
that now does work with Sports Channel 8 uh, for 99.9 The Fan in Raleigh, has his own show. And uh, he had a personal connection sort of in the chain of command up in D.C. Uh, apparently, the Obama people called around, and UNC, among others, said, yeah, I mean, if you're going to talk to anybody down here, Dave Glenn's the guy to do it. He knew Coach Smith. He's got a statewide show with a big audience and a big reach. He covers college basketball for a living. He created ACCSports.com. And sure enough, like we, we get to the point where, honestly, I'm not even kidding. They said, hey, Obama has a meeting with German Chancellor Angela Merkel. And if it runs long, he can't join you. But if it ends on time, he'll be with you at two whatever. I forget the day now. But soon after Coach Smith died, and just to, to tie a bow on this story, I was live on the air with Roy Williams, which is another, of course, high-profile guest you'd love to have uh, on Dean Smith. Roy talking about his just beloved mentor. And I said live on the air, Coach, I'm probably never going to utter this sentence again in my lifetime, but I've got to let you go because the President of the United States is on the other line. Oh, and. <laughs> And Roy laughed, and we had prepared him that, you know, Obama could be calling at any minute. And then I think I spent maybe 15 minutes or so with the president of the United States, the sitting president, who, of course, avoided politics, but, but he loves hoops, was very knowledgeable about the subject matter, shared his condolences about Dean Smith's passing. So a lot of great moments, a lot of amazing guests but that one certainly sticks out for some obvious reasons. I got to think that Roy would be one of the better people to have on your show at that particular time because he would just be like, well, dadgum, David, go ahead and let me go and interview the president. Like You are so, so, so correct about that, Michael. <laughs> you know, you, some of the other more famous guests you have are going to be a lot more high maintenance than sure. that. Like, wait a minute. But I, I do think most people would understand, you know, if the president of the United States is on the other line. It was really weird. Even though, of course, he was only on by phone. The president was not in my studio. Mm -hmm. um, I felt like, you know, the animal at the zoo because there were noses pressed up against the glass that looks into my studio. And I was just thinking, well, I know you all know, I've heard, you've all heard by now that the president is on my show. Uh, but I don't know. It's just me in here. You know, I look the same. I look every day. And <laughs> it's not like the Secret Service was lining the hallway or something. But it was... It was quite the memorable moment, and uh, yeah, mo most people really appreciated just the, the extraordinary nature of it all. Excellent. All right, final question. Going to go to your pitching career here. I, I read you pitched competitively from the age of five to the age of twenty-four. That's correct. How, yeah. How would scouts consider? Would have scouts hmm. consider? consider you a crafty lefty <laughs> did you, and did you strike out anyone famous let's see uh definitely a crafty lefty in other words i was not good enough to play in college just to be clear my my uh i was uh, i did play for great valley little league's entry into the little league world series when i was 12 years old so as a youngster yeah, I was on a lot of all-star teams. We lost in the early rounds. So I, it's funny because I, I was based in Westchester, PA. And, of course, the Little League World Series is in Williamsport, PA. And it would have been a total dream to get there. We, we, we lost in the early rounds. So I never uh, – I technically participated in, you know, the the earliest – it's like the round of 68 in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> Te I, technically, I was kind of in there. But 
uh, a million miles from the final four of Williamsport. Uh, but I would play in like, as a left-handed pitcher, what happens is you always get invited back. So if you, if you played for, um, you know, Bob's tractors or, you know, the, the Rathskeller restaurant or something like that. And these are some actual teams I played for as, as an older guy, you know, as a left-handed pitcher who could get the ball over the plate, I probably couldn't break a glass, a pane of glass at the, at the end of my career, but you know, I was getting it up there at probably 80 miles an hour. Um, that's a breaking ball. That's a changeup for some pros. That was my fastball. But when you're a lefty and a pitcher and you can get it over the plate, you know, you can always get invited back. So there I was really good in my youth, uh, pretty good in my high school years, and then just played summer league, Babe Ruth league, and then young adult league, under 30 league, stuff like that. Um, mostly, you know, as a reason to, you know, join your buddies at the bar later that same night after your baseball game, right. made it all the way until I started law school in, uh, 1991, I think it was. So yeah, I loved the sport, loved playing it pretty decent hitter as a first baseman when I wasn't pitching, but pitching was what, you know, made me at least, uh, somewhat successful and given my lack of a fastball, man. I was nibbling at the corners. I was throwing <laughs> sliders. I was throwing curves. I, I, I was trying to get guys to chase stuff in the dirt. That's just kind of how you had to survive when you couldn't blow blow people away with your fastball. I hear you. Well, you are now in the bonus, David, and I have to tell you, man, it has been a real pleasure. Uh, it, it just such a great show, and thank you for being on. Uh, it was awesome. Well, that was fun. I hope I didn't go too long with those uh, answers, but uh, no, those were great questions. So um, I, I'm, I really appreciate, you know, you let me share a little bit of the personal side. It's fun to be with you on hoops and other sports, but uh, that was a lot of fun for me. Yeah, man. I, I, I you know, I, I probably wanted to have you on a long time ago, but I, I didn't really know you until I recently kind of connected on LinkedIn. And then when somebody told me that you were no longer on FAN, I was like, Jesus Christ, I got I to gotta talk to this guy about what's going on <laughs> yeah. here. So. Um, I appreciate you taking the time, David. I know we ran long, and I'm, I'm sorry about that, but I, I, I love the show, and I'm not going to cut it off when we got good stuff going. So, Amen. Um, yeah, thanks a lot, and uh, maybe we'll see you around the way. All right, Michael Chip, it was a lot of fun. I really appreciate the invitation. Uh, great to chat back and forth with you, and you have my number, so call me anytime. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks, David. Later, Chip. Later. That was the Triangles, David Glenn, the Athletics, David Glenn, ACCSports.com's David Glenn, the Attorney, David Glenn. That was one of the funnest shows I've ever done. Um, I know we went long. You know, I try to keep it to an hour sometimes, but like I said, I ain't gonna cut it off when we're doing shit like that, guys. And that was that was awesome for me. I, I hope you guys really enjoyed it. Um, you know, David has been a guy that I've listened to, a guy that I've used as a resource through his website, a guy that I listen to his radio show to do interviews, a guy that I emulate when he does his interviews. Um, and he was most gracious to come on. He's a he's a pleasant guy to deal with. He's he's down to earth. He's he's the guy that yeah, I mean he's the guy. I mean that he's the goat. Right now, in the triangle as far as North Carolina sports, I cannot believe that that man is currently not on the air. That blows my mind. All right. Um, enough of that. I guess enough of the uh, the butt kissing. I guess right. 
Uh, <laughs> I want to be a, too much of a fanboy for you guys. But uh, next week we get Candace Cooper has rescheduled. We'll have her on next Sunday. Um, again, another another uh, broadcaster on FAN. I'm really looking forward to having Candace on to explore just some of the some of the things that are going on from a female perspective, from a minority perspective, from everything. And I mean, she's a, she, I, another former UNC athlete. I know you guys are thinking, Jesus, you got, you pound North Carolina. Well, Duke fans hate my guts and I'm blocked by Clemson basketball. So, you know, the, the opportunities are limited, but I'm happy to get the people that I'm getting. So I don't care where you are and who you are. The stuff that we've been putting out in the last couple months is second to none as far as ACC goes, as far as information goes, as far as entertainment goes. So be sure like rate review, share the podcast, you know, let's grow that, let's grow that listenership. Let's get the word out. Uh, go on Apple podcast, leave a rating, leave a review, go on Spotify, leave a rating, leave a review. Um, I welcome constructive criticism. You can send it to ACC basketball report at gmail.com. I'm down with it. Cool. Whatever you guys want me to do that's different from what we're doing right now, cool. I think the addition of Chimp has been awesome. And, you know, I, I think the show just continuously gets better. I thank you guys for tuning in. Um, I thank you even more if you take the time to leave us some feedback and help us out as far as the metrics go. We will see you next week with Candace Cooper. Later.